Hello, and welcome back to Dance Dance Revolutionary, where my mom and I are going to be discussing classical ballet dance history today. We're going to start with a summary of one of the module's readings, which dives deep into one of the well-known and influential figures in ballet, George Balanchine. This reading, called Stripping the Emperor, discusses George Balanchine and the Americanization of ballet. George Balanchine is credited with the Americanization of ballet despite being trained in Russia. He incorporated a significant amount of the Africanist perspective in his work, which Balanchine received the credit for. This cycle has been true, of course, for many dance styles. Balanchine's Broadway music comedy career is noted to be a smokescreen to hide the true origins of his type of work, which is actually a marriage between Africanist and European perspectives. The reading goes on to discuss that ballet has always borrowed from folk culture and popular motifs in Europe. A list of four guiding principles are provided, including ballet being an ethnic dance form, Influences of past and present cultures being interwoven. George Balanchine's Americanization of ballet demonstrating both African-American and European-American influences. And how an Africanist perspective can be used to reveal the Africanist presence in American ballet. Ballet is not better than any other style of dance. It is simply another style of ethnic dance. Balanchine, in some ways, was ahead of his time with proposing six African-American women on point and six white women doing jazz. It never happened, but he was having creative thoughts in this earlier time. Catherine Dunham is quoted in the article as her beliefs with why Balanchine was interested in the rhythm and percussion of African dance. She stated that the Georgian and Russian folk dances of his birth country primed him to incorporate the Africanist aesthetic into his choreography. The article discusses Balanchine dance as compared to African social and or street dances in the balance of hot and cool. Balanchine loved culture and looked at it to inspire and guide his choreography. He specifically was interested in African-American culture. In 1957, with the ballet Agon, he broke an American taboo by having a black male and white female perform a pas de deux. He loved to play with skin tones as part of his vision. The Balanchine body was created by him from his love of the African-American body, including log legs and a short torso, which is the opposite of the Russian preference for ballerina body types. Words used to describe Balanchine's type of ballerinas are strong, good stamina, quick, and high jumping. These are all also racial stereotypes. In addition to Balanchine's preference for the physicality and color contrast of African-American dancers compared to white dancers, he also introduced movement from African dance. Examples of this include angular arms, turned in legs, and bent knees. Other qualities such as energy, attack, speed, timing, and off-centeredness were used by Balanchine and attributed to African dance. He is known for choreography of moving fast, then being still, utilizing the hot and cool perspective, and adding a new type of timing. This was one major piece of Americanizing ballet. 
In the late 1930s, Balanchine choreographed many musicals on Broadway, including Cabin in the Sky with Catherine Dunham. His 1936 Follies shocked many blacks and whites alike with a scene with Josephine Baker and a chorus of white male dancers. Balanchine unfortunately bought into a myth that African-American dancers improvised themselves, suggesting that African-American dancers do not train and are just born with it. Balanchine's choreography and movement vocabulary moved away from vertical alignment of torso to things such as attacking the beat, angular arms, flexed wrist, taking energy to a new level where it mandates the form. Balanchine had a huge influence on American ballet, and in particular, incorporating the African aesthetics into ballet. After hearing this description of how Balanchine shifted ballet, what was your biggest takeaway? Hey, Katie. My biggest takeaway from the article was, to me, it's always made sense how jazz and tap in particular have their origins in African dance. I mean, you can sort of see it when you've learned about African dance. Now I can sort of see where it comes from, but it makes no sense for me for ballet. I, I never thought of it as having any relationship to African dance before. Um, so I think that was probably my biggest takeaway. Yes, and even all of my training prior to Ball State with ballet and jazz and tap, like you mentioned, um, these African influences weren't talked about there either. So it's just doesn't receive the exposure as it should. This article was also helpful to me in giving specific examples of concepts and movement that was taken away from African dance by Balanchine and implemented into American ballet. The notion of inspiration from African dance without any credit given with Balanchine and ballet is not surprising and has been across a lot of styles of dance. So next, we have a question coming from one of my peers regarding the information presented in the reading. It states, is it wrong for a choreographer to look for certain physical aesthetics or body types when they have a clear image in their mind about it, or even a preference towards certain ones? Do you have any initial thoughts about this topic? I think it's 100% up to the choreographer to choose what dancers they want to use in their work. It is part of the creative process, and there should be free reign in this area. The choreographer is the one who is missing out by only using dancers with a certain aesthetic. They are limiting their talent pool to a certain look. On the other hand, dancers with a specific look may enhance the storytelling mood or vibe of the dance. Personal choice should always be given to the artist. It is up to those who see the work to like it or not. One needs to be careful in putting rules or judgment in someone else's ideas of what they are wanting to express. I agree, and I like your perspective of the choreographer being the one who's missing out by limiting who they're looking for. But because dance is a visual and physical art, the look of the dance, including the dancers, plays a large role in the overall aesthetic. While from a dancer's point of view, it does not always seem fair or right, typecasting is something that sometimes comes with the job, especially if there are a lot of dancers to choose from. For ballet in particular, the Balanchine body was the ideal look for a long time. 
In terms of it being right or wrong, many individuals have spoken on this matter. Some of these perspectives include how someone's body looks from the outside not being a complete indication of their health and the increase of eating disorders among dancers due to this standard. Choreographers may still choose whatever look they prefer, but the good news is an emphasis on being fit and strong is coming to the forefront in today's ideals. So, having watched some dance in your time, would you say you are familiar with what ballet looks like and contains? Yes, I would think I'm pretty familiar with what it looks like and what it contains. As far as whether somebody's really good at it or being able to do it myself, no. Since ballet is a style that you have more knowledge about, what are some characteristics of the ballet technique? I pretty much think about precise finger placement, a straight back and torso, and very pointed toes. Yeah, those are a few, and some other characteristics of current ballet include the use of turnout, graceful movement, seeming to defy gravity, and a presentational quality. Something you may not know is that through many eras of ballet, these characteristics and focuses of ballet have evolved. For example, the ballet at court era had little content and continuity, followed a prescribed pattern, told stories through pantomime, and the costumes limited women's movement. John George Novaire, an important figure to ballet and choreographer who argued for reform of ballet, brought in a new era, Ballet d'Action, with his reforms. These ballets consisted of movement to emotionally move the audience, logical themes, scenery, music, and costumes that relate to the theme, and less pantomime. So hearing the evolution of ballet, where do you think ballet could continue to shift from what it looks like today? That's a tough question. I do hope it even becomes more diverse than it has historically been. In terms about ballet companies or performances or where the future of it goes, I'm not really that knowledgeable. I've never put a lot of my time and energy into knowing a lot about ballet other than the few things you've mentioned and we've talked about. Because in the competitive dance world, I was very much socialized to believe from a very early age that you were never going to be great at ballet and that I should never expect you to even actually really be very good at ballet due to your body type. Yes, there are definitely a lot of misconceptions regarding ballet, including its origins and the dancers performing it. But that is a good reason for people to listen to our podcast each week to learn. So that's all the topics we have for today. Thank you, Mom, for joining me. And thank you all for listening.